Wonder, curiosity, connection. Where will your adventures take you? I'm Dr. Diane, and thank you for joining me on today's episode of Adventures in Learning. Welcome to this episode of Adventures in Learning. I am so excited to be inviting my friend and my former partner in crime, Jennifer Coleman, to today's episode. Um, Jen and I worked together for over five years at a children's museum where we raised all kinds of chaos as we um, helped kids build connections through hands-on learning, play, and children's literature. So please welcome Jen to the show. Hi, Hi. Jen. How are you? I'm good. How are you? It's so nice to have you here. So I'm going to start with a question that I'm asking all of my guests. Mm -hmm. What did you want to be when you were a kid? Oh my gosh. Okay. So the long story short, my first grade teacher was amazing. She was everything you could imagine a first grade teacher to be. She was fun, joyful, exciting, made all the learning just you know easy. My second grade teacher was absolutely miserable. And <laughs> it was drudgery working in her class. Like everything was seat work, nothing was fun or joyful. And so I decided by second grade that I wanted to be just like my first grade teacher and replace my second grade teacher. So <laughs> I decided very early <laughs> on that I wanted to be a teacher. Um, and so that's, I, I taught my stuffed animals. I tried to teach the neighborhood children. I, you know, I loved learning and I loved all the books that you read about teachers and, you know, about learning and stuff. I, I, you know, even when I was younger um, and I, you know, I wound up taking on some of those roles, even like in middle school where I was a, a tutor for some of my peers and I made the learning fun. I made it, you know, we're, we're studying, but it's like game show atmosphere. So nobody hated it. And I, I just, I realized that's what I wanted to do as a kid. But my, my secret passion that I literally have, like, I've not, I've not told anyone else this is that <laughs> I also dreamed of being a newscaster and I have no idea where that came from. I, my, you know, my family didn't grow up. We didn't grow up watching the news or anything like that. But I always thought it would be very exciting to be like where the news happened and be holding the microphone and talking to the people at large and telling them all the important things. And I, I realized recently that that's pretty much what a teacher does. <laughs> I was going to say things. building those connections. That's exactly <laughs> what you do as a teacher. You yeah. are showtime connected yes. with all that fabulous content. So it sounds like you've been training for this your entire life. I have, I have. And if there's any newscasters out there, I apologize. I never want to step on your toes. But like, I definitely realized that that's probably where some of that skill set might have uh, might have also gone in that direction. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I wound up being a teacher for many years. And I feel like as a whole, I am an educator because I do, even though that's not what I currently do, I do feel like I take the opportunity to educate people um, through my daily life, through my actions, and a little bit through the job that I currently that makes total sense to me. Um, I was not a teacher. I came to teaching late. Um, I actually was past college before I f decided that was what I wanted to do. Instead, I was going to be a firefighting ballerina <laughs> farmer's wife at one point. At another point, I was a director. Um, I spent my entire childhood directing other people. Um, we would play games and I would be the director who sort of staged how everybody was doing things. And I was Joe March continuously. 
Who doesn't um, want to be Bill Maher? She's amazing. Exactly. <laughs> so, you know, I did all of those things, but I did come to education realizing later that that was exactly what I wanted to be. And I counted as one of the joys in my life that I got to teach side by side with you for so many oh, years. Oh, well, thank you. Thank you. It's, it, it was a pleasure teaching with you too. And it was, I mean, I feel like it was, uh, it was one of those symbiotic relationships where we learned from each other. We grew from each other. We strengthened each other as well. So I agree. <laughs> so I'm so glad you're here tonight to help us talk about connections. So we're going to be connecting play and we're going to be mm-hmm. connecting uh, children's literature and hands-on learning throughout this conversation. So to get there, I want to go way back into your childhood again. Oh, okay. What was your favorite picture book when you were a kid and why? Oh, gosh. Okay. So I would have to say there are, there are probably at least two um, so my mom read to us from when we were eensy weensy littles. Um, and I remember, you know, laying on, on bed when my brother was a baby. So he's two and a half years younger than I am. So I remember him being a baby, baby. Like, why are we reading to him? He can't understand. And my mom said, no, no, he's hearing the words and it's important for him to hear these words. So we're going to read the story together and he can be here too. And I was, okay, fine. But I remember him being really, really little. So I could have only been like three or four. Um, And so we read, I mean, she used to read, she loved animals. And so she would read books about uh, Black Beauty, My Friend Flicka. So those were, they're chapter books. They're not necessarily picture books, but we also had picture books. And I loved um, when, when she would read the, if you give a mouse a cookie and there's a monster at the end of this book. I love that book. So I think the monster at the end of the book was more read for me because I was more of a nervous child growing up. I was the one that was like, no, 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 we're going to get, you know, we're going to fall out of the street. No, 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 no. We're going to turn ourselves. And my brother, on the other hand, was like, full bore. Well, let's do this. Who cares if we get hurt? Start the page. And so I think that the Grover book was for me because the, the monster at the end of the book turns out to be Grover. And I think that the, if you give a mouse a cookie book was for my brother because he was also the child who just continually asked for <laughs> and would just run around in circles. So I think, but the, those became like the epitome of my childhood. So if you, if, if you wanted a book that would bring me back, it would be one of those. And I, I, the monster at the end of the book is just, it's my favorite because even after I knew, I, I knew what the ending was, it didn't matter. I loved reading it. I loved the, 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 the buildup to the end where me, lovable old grown <laughs> I loved it. That was my favorite book as a kid. Oh, um, you are so bringing me back. And it's funny <laughs> how our siblings do connect us back to those favorite books yeah. because I've realized mine was Peter. In a snowy day, Peter's chair, Whistle for Willie. And it had everything to do with where I was as a kid at the time because um, we lived in Germany in this apartment complex and Peter lived in an apartment complex. My parents decided to bless my life with a sister um, when I was four (laughs) or five. And I am very grateful for her today. But at the time, I wasn't so sure. You know, going from that whole only child to suddenly having siblings is hard. (laughs) And Peter felt the same way. And so I remember that scene where his father helped him paint his chair for his little sister. And my dad took time out of being in the army to do the same kinds of stuff with me. And, you know, 
He also had a dog named Willie and I had a dog named Muffins. It was the late seventies. We're not going to judge. No, um, no, no judging. Listen, I like food too. <laughs> but you know, it was just one of those things where that book helped me to cope and sort of gave me the connection to realize, oh, other kids are feeling the same things I'm feeling. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I mean, I hadn't necessarily, honestly, I hadn't realized that the, the connection between like, this is who who I was as a kid until I mentioned it just now. But I, I do think that that was, you know, I was the more reserved child and my brother was not. And I've always realized that his connection with the, if you give a mouse a cookie book, but I never thought about myself being Grover until just now. And it really does make sense because I was the more nervous child. I was the more, you know, reserved. Sure. <laughs> now that so, makes total sense to me. But yeah. When we see ourselves in the stories, it, it definitely seems to, to make, you know, make more of a difference. So um, it sounds like you've been building connections all your life. <laughs> How do you remember first learning about science or the world around you? Oh, gosh. Um, so I guess there were a couple of ways. So my, my, my mom was more of a tomboy. Uh, and so she, she really connected with my brother on more sciencey related things. He was always the scientist. He was always the one observing. Um, and, uh, he, he would, you know, he would break things apart and try to put them back together. Uh, he would experiment with things. And I, before, before we knew that it was experimentation, he would just, he would just do it. Um, and my mom fostered that. Um, and so she would get him magnifying glasses and, um, little tweezers and, uh, you know, droppers, she, but she would, she would encourage him to go out and, and collect bugs, specimens and, you know, investigate things. And I, so I remember seeing that as a, and, and it, it was never like, oh, then you can't do this. But it was always like, that's Shane's world. And I'm totally cool with that. But um, I, I remember observing, being an observer and watching what was happening. And again, more, more of a reserved, nervous child. Um, he's going to pick up the bug and put it in the container and I'm going to watch. But I, I, I remember being intrigued by it and, and, and you know, surprised by some of the things that he was finding out and he would he would put bugs together in little he called them bug barns I think probably like the first time I really got a taste of that of, of science being more than the thing you have to learn before social studies time because I really enjoyed social studies time when growing up um and science was always sort of boring you read from the textbook and you and you hear about these experiments but you don't do them uh the first time I really got jazzed about science was in eighth grade, which is definitely like you're, I mean, you're working your way out of childhood, but the science teacher was a woman and she was, that's all she taught. So obviously it's middle school. And she walked in on the first day with a cape on and turned the lights out and turned a Bunsen burner on and threw something at the Bunsen burner and it like sparkled and crackled and glowed and it was amazing. And she told the story about how science has, has always been magic. And she just turned it, for, transformed it from being this dull thing in a textbook that you read about to, to doing. And she talked about the magic of it and the excitement of it and the confusion of it and, and you know, how, how we have learned over time that it's not magic, but, there, you know, it always happens this way. It's not a surprise we, if we do it right. Um, but 
she made it exciting. So literally that first day of class, I was hooked. I want to be a scientist when I grow up. Um, and she, she like throughout the year, she would have us do crazy things in ridiculous experiments. And I loved every minute of it. So I think that was probably the first time that I got excited by science. And I wound up my first year teaching only science. And I was, I, I, I kept trying to channel her just, just channel Mrs. Siobhan. She was, uh, she was so amazing. I just wanted to be her. And about halfway through the year, it was like Christmas break. Maybe I stayed up really late one night and I found her school email and I sent her this really lengthy email about how I was just trying to channel her. And she sent me back just like one or two lines. Thank you so much. This means so much to me, but you have no idea how much I'm just flying by the seat of my pants. But I thought, okay, all right, I can channel that too. Um, and but honestly, I that was probably my first real draw in because, like I said, it was always sort of Shane's thing. It was always something that I observed, um, and so that that first the, the making it exciting, exciting, the dressing up, the making it playful. I mean, she came in wearing like the Groucho Marx glasses and nose and mustache one day, and it, like it was it was the best fun we'd ever had. And we were eighth graders. And so, you know, like that, the whole, you're like, you're getting out of childhood, but we were playing and it was great. <laughs> and that is an absolutely perfect transition. We're going to take a break. And when we come back, we're going to start diving into play and learning and how those two go together for the best results. Oh, so wow. we'll be back in just a moment. Hey, early childhood and elementary school teachers and librarians, are you looking for ways to spice up your curriculum, build connections with engaged STEAM learners, and introduce multicultural versions of fairy tales and folk literature? If so, head over to drdianeadventures.com and check out our on-demand virtual course. Beyond Ever After STEAM on-demand virtual course allows you to work at your own pace and learn how to build these STEM STEAM connections through multicultural fairy tales and folk literature. You'll receive professional development credits after you complete this high-energy three-hour on-demand course produced with Steve Spangler, Inc. As a bonus, you're going to receive a PDF that's filled with curriculum connections and program ideas you can put to work immediately in your early childhood elementary or library setting. Discounts are available for group purchases, plus you get special pricing when you purchase it as part of a regular professional development workshop. So head on over to drdianeadventures.com and get started on your own Beyond Ever After experience. So welcome back. Let's go back into exploring play. So Jen, you brought up play and that being one of the reasons that Mrs. Chavon really rocked your world when you were in eighth grade. And yes. knowing the way that you teach, I can absolutely see how you channeled her down the road. Why is play important? Oh gosh, play is so meaningful. It makes, I mean, you're making memories. If you think about when the memories you have with your family, most of the time they're playful memories, right? I mean, you're, you're, maybe it's on vacation, maybe it's, you know, growing up knowing, you know, remembering things like, I know for me, I remember things when I went playing with my family. I remember my brother and I would reenact the Olympics every year or every, you know, year that the Olympics happened, we would reenact them in our, in our, in our yard. So those are huge memories that you carry with you. You're not going to forget those things. And so I think that play is such a huge part of learning because it makes it memorable. It makes it stick and it, it connects to things 
that you already know. And that's that's a huge piece as a teacher, you know, that you're supposed to connect the prior knowledge, you know, make it make it relate to something that they already know. But I think that, that it relates in a way that's that's fun and joyful as well. I think, you know, a lot of a lot of learning experiences, if they if they attach to a feeling, I think that they stick a little bit longer. So I think that play and learning are they should go hand in hand, honestly. So can you give an example of a time that you built play into a lesson you were teaching? <laughs> yes. Um, one of my, okay, so one of my favorite lessons that I taught, it was a stolen lesson. I stole it from somebody else. I read it in a teacher's manual, a teacher's, uh, you know, magazine, um, was, um, the revolution. And, uh, so you had to pose to the students as if, uh, this was really, truly happening. And you, um, you had to pose to the students that the, the price of, of lunches was going up. And so I, I, I drafted this whole letter and had my principal sign it and everything like that and made it look like it was official and, and made 20 copies of it so we could go into their Friday folders. And I, I came back, you know, from lunch the one day and I was like, guys, and I read this, I was like, and I, you know, that was normal habit. I would tell them what was going in their Friday folder. And I said, this thing is going in your Friday folder, but I want to, I want to take a second to talk about it. And we started talking about it. And I read it off to them. It sounded very official. Prices of lunches going up to, to $10 a day or something ridiculous like that. And the kids started right away like, that's you can't, you can't charge that much. And I said, well, let me keep reading. And it says we're going to pay for the new playground. And they all screamed, when's the playground going in? And I said, oh, it says next year. Well, we're going to be gone by then. We're going to be in the middle school. We won't be able to use the playground. This is terrible. I said, well, I, I, don't, I don't know. Guys, what do we do? And they immediately jumped into action. Well, we should we should boycott the cafeteria. Let's not buy lunches anymore. You know what? That sounds like a great idea. Anybody else got ideas? And they start throwing ideas and I start, oh, you know what? Let's make a good list on the on the board. We'll make a list of this stuff. Great, great idea. Keep coming at me. So they start throwing out you know, ridiculous ideas. We should egg the, t- the principal. Oh, okay, we'll put it on the list. And then they're panicked. Maybe don't put that on the list. Maybe we'll get in trouble. But if the principal walks in right now. Let's let's do it. And you know what? We'll tell him what's going on. If he walks in, we'll tell him. So I riled them up and they come up with this amazing list. They're going to, they're going to go to the school board meeting and they're going to write a strongly worded letter and they're going to, you know, get to the newspaper involved. We want to take pictures and they're gonna they're gonna have you know a pictures outside the cafeteria and they're going to make signs so that the other students decide that they're not going to you know and and they get into this whole thing they're going to have a giant food fight in the cafeteria and I said oh these are great ideas and when when we slowly there there are a couple of kids in the back that are like I I don't I don't want to do any of this I don't want to I don't, I buy my, I don't, I, I mean, I pack my lunch. I don't even buy lunch. I don't care. It, it doesn't matter to me. We don't have to, I don't want to do this. And I could see myself in that, but, but I, that's okay. You don't have to participate. It's totally cool. Oh, good. Good. I don't want to participate, but any other ideas, any other ideas you got? And so at the end, I would reread the letter going home in the Friday folders. And it would say, dear colonists, thanks to the war of 1763, the French and Indian War, we're going to have to tax you people. And uh, starting, uh, you know, immediately. And the kids rioted. Oh my God, they were, de- they were devastated. Wait a minute, wait a minute. First of all, we're not getting a new playground. No. But that also means we're not going to be <laughs> food fighting in the cafeteria. I was really excited about it. And they, but, but they felt something. They, they, they felt angry. They felt, you know, frustrated. They, they felt trampled upon and they, 
they were inspired to to create this list. And then we went through the list and I said, you know, that, that, that food fight in the cafeteria, that's the Boston Tea Party. And, you know, that that strongly worded letter to the school board, that's the Declaration of Independence. You guys thought like revolutionaries and we were just playing around. We were just pretending that, that we were there, but you've just created this amazing list of all the things that the revolutionaries did. And then we talked about the kids who didn't want to participate. There were people who didn't want to participate. They were, they were, they were Tories. They, you know, they wanted to stay loyal to the crown or they just didn't care. And then there were also some bad ideas. You know, the Boston Tea Party got the whole, you know, Boston Harbor shut down. There were good ideas, you know? So we talked about that. And then we talked about like, okay, now the official learning starts where we talk about this is that, you know, you're this equal this. So your, your Boston Tea Party equaled your food fight. Um, but, and, you know, we, then we got down to the facts of the matter, but they were excited to learn about the facts of the matter then because they had, they had investment made and they, they bought into it, but it was, it was in such a playful manner that afterwards we took a vow of secrecy. We promised, we pinky swore that we would never tell anyone about this lesson because if their siblings had the same class some other day, that they would want their siblings to have the same excitement that they had. Because afterwards, I mean, they were they were devastated. But they were also really, really, it, like they were like, oh, you pulled it over on us. That was good. <laughs> That's awesome. So you really were able to connect that passion, that emotion, yeah. the play to the mm-hmm. content. Yeah. And and so they it's it was hilarious. Literally my last class of students that I taught graduated just this past year. And I every time I run into a student who I had their sibling later on in the year like you know they would they would stop me and say have you have you done the lesson yet? Like like that lesson. I love it. And I would say, no, 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 yeah, don't tell them anything. Oh, no, oh, no, I won't tell them anything. But I can't wait to hear whether or not they reacted the same way I did. They, I mean, they were super excited about it for their future, you know, future generations of classes. So, Well, they had ownership of it, which I think is so yeah. huge. You know, yeah. um, you're talking about fifth graders. And yes. I was thinking about when I ran the preschool up in New York, um, I had four-year-olds. Mm-hmm. Four and five year olds, and we would do similar things in terms of engaging in play. Yeah. And so we would do, I was thinking we would do a solar system month where we would talk about space and we would explore things. They built with me, like it was a kid and adult together project, we would build a spaceship and we would oh, build cool. it out of like an old refrigerator box. You know, we would look at pictures of the space shuttle, we would look at pictures of the rocket ships. We used foil and paper mm-hmm. and things like oh, that. Yeah. And that box hung out in our dramatic play center. There were um, clipboards where they were the NASA scientists and they were Mm -hmm. writing stuff down. And, um, you know, it was filled with books, like all sorts of nonfiction books. Seymour Simon was fabulous for having just the gorgeous pictures of all the different planets. Um, But we would compare that with fiction. And so I loved matching it with Hedgy Blasts Off by Jan Pratt. And we would (laughs) use that book, you know, we would read it aloud and then they would create their own makeup and they would create their own hedgy. And um, we would do the whole experiment where we were um, looking at the buildup of pressure and creating that explosion. 
And so we would do that and we would actually launch rockets. And so they got to play with some chemical reactions as we looked at, you know, mixing the citric acid with the water, what happens. Um, so all of this became part of the play and it was all centered around books and the sense of we're going to be astronauts for a month and we're going to go explore all of these different planets. And there was so much content that we worked in where they could compare and contrast the planets. They knew which planets were hotter, which ones were colder. They could sing the song about the planets, you know, all of that. But it all started with the idea of how do we build connections through play? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And I know for, for me, I managed to tie in the books with them after the fact, because I did, I wanted to introduce it in that like glamorous, amazing way. But, uh, but afterwards we read, I love using picture books, even with my fifth grade students. And so my favorite to tie in with the revolution besides, the, oh gosh, there was the, the whole series. Um, and I know you'll know the author, uh, the, if you lived in, mm-hmm. if you lived when, um, and there were a whole bunch of those. And, um, um, there was one about King George, uh, that won't make them behave, uh, George. And so um, that whole series, we had those out in the classroom all the time. But my favorite to read aloud to them after they had learned about me, some of the individuals um, that were uh, influential in the revolution was um, the book by Lane Smith, um, John, Paul, George, and Ben. Because, of course, it's also a play on the whole Beatles. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But I loved, I love tying in books too with that play because it's, it's so much fun to, to find ways to, and especially if you can throw fiction in with it, make it humorous. And I love historical fiction, but like Lane Smith managed in the back of the book to talk about some of the things that were fake and some of the things that were real. And that was so much fun for the kids to be like, wait, no, for real? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I, I love, I love being able to tie those things in too. Steve Shankin is another one who is just a master at being able to pull the facts that um, weren't in your textbook, but were the dirty, interesting, gross things that kids want to know about. Yes. Oh, yeah. And I, I feel like, like, why don't we talk more about that? <laughs> exactly. And I love the fact that there are so many multicultural picture books and multicultural stories that are available, too. Yes. I think all too often in our textbooks, there are so many voices that have been silenced. And this is a wonderful opportunity to develop empathy and be able to see things from another perspective as well. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I, I mean, I remember, I mean, again, I taught fifth grade. I taught fifth grade for 10 years. So, so well, you know, um, and they're all about 10-ish. But I remember the kids were always wanting to know about the, the girls because, you know, half of the class is typically female. And yet we learned very few about very few females in our history class. And so that was always my encouragement to go research women um, of, of history. Um, and, but I started, I started supplementing the textbook with stories about women. And so sometimes they came from books, um, you know, chapter books or picture books about, um, you know, women as specifically, because that was always it. And the other thing that they always wanted to hear about was the kids, you know, their kids, what were kids doing during the revolution? We only ever hear about the adults, but had to have been children. And so, you know, I, I, I don't know what they were doing, guys. Let's find out. Um, and, you know, so that was that was a great opportunity for them to, to direct the learning as well. Absolutely. Um, and when they've got the ownership, then they're much more likely to remember as well. Yes. Uh, the, the kids learn that I would, I would throw things out there that weren't on the test. 
And so when, when they would raise their hands, inevitably, some kid would raise their hand, stressed kid, the nervous one, me, would raise their hand and say, is this going to be on the test? And I would say, no, it's not going to be. And the rest of the kids would go, perfect. And they'd all sit in and they'd all lean in a little bit closer and be like, okay, now you can tell us. Because they were excited to you know, hear about this random piece of trivia that they didn't need to know, but they probably were going to enjoy. <laughs> oh, I love it. So you use that whole drama and the Miss Frizzle effect to draw oh, them gosh. in and get them excited. Yes. Yes. <laughs> You know, I was thinking about when we were both at the Children's Museum, one of the things that we both drew on was sort of that Miss Frizzle attitude towards showtime and towards play, because there, while we had content we were sharing, everything had to be embedded in play. Yes. And the play came first. The fun came first. And I think for me, that had always been sort of the thing that I I strove, strived to do as a teacher was to make it playful, to make it enjoyable, to make it joyful. Um... But, but it was, it was, you know, there was certain content that needed to be covered, like you said, and it, this, this, you know, the, the, what we did as uh, museum staff was we turned that around. We made the play was first and foremost, and the content was secondary. And it, I felt like I enjoyed that so much more. Um, and I think it was just, it was done differently. And there were times where the teachers would look at us and be like, oh no, there's, there's, no way this is going to work. And then we would, we would knock their socks off because it would not only work, but their kids would be well-behaved. Their, their students would, would be engaged and enthusiastic and learning. And then as they were walking out the room, they would be talking about what they just learned about to their teacher. And their teacher was like, oh, okay. <laughs> you know, and that's something that uh, Steve Spangler calls making it a best day ever. And he's mm-hmm. like, if you make it to the dinner table, then you've succeeded. And I think that's <laughs> sort of what the goal is, is if you can do those hands-on activities and build those connections, create the wow, then you've got a shot at being the best day ever and making it to the dinner table. And then you know you've made it. Oh my gosh. I mean, I think about the times I've probably made it to the dinner table at others, you know, my students' uh, lives. I can only imagine what they were discussing. (laughs) But they were discussing it. So that's the good thing, right? That's true. And I, I had very few uh, concerns that it was going to be something negative, but uh, heavens knows. I, um, there was one year that the students definitely jokingly referred to me as the frizz. And it was, it was one of those years where if it could go wrong, it did. And my classroom got a hole in the ceiling right in the middle of a torrential downpour and the water just started streaming in. And my students knew how to handle whatever we they were good with and they immediately you know they jumped to the rescue they got a bucket got some bins they handled it they moved the desks it was great and all the while I'm watching them and I you know I'm laughing and one of the kids turns to me and says Miss Coleman are you okay and I laughed and I said come on who else's classroom would have a built-in waterfall guys this is amazing isn't it amazing like the perspective just changed 100%. You're right. Our class is so cool. <laughs> that, was, that was the year that the kids were like, I think she and the frizz might be the same person. <laughs> well, and I love the resiliency that kids can have in a circumstance oh gosh, like yeah. that. We wound up, um, there was a year, I wonder if it was the same year for us, preschool um, flooded. 
Absolutely. Oh my gosh. Like we had a flood come through. We were in the basement of a church up in New York and we had to move the entire preschool over to the empty um, vicarage house. Oh and gosh. for like three months, that's where we were. <laughs> but the kids loved it because it was like our treehouse. It was our adventure. And yeah. so we wound up doing um, paleontology for that t- for part of that time. And so we had a room that turned into our dinosaur dig pit and they were using their tools and they were excavating. (laughs) We were able to lay out, um, we measured the house and we measured dinosaurs compared to. Oh, that's cool. Like the dinosaurs the size of the living room. Well, and we would take tape and we would run it all over the building so that the kids would lay head to toe and we'd figure out how big a Triceratops was versus a T-Rex versus an Apatosaurus. And, you know, the Apatosaurus went from the back door all the way through into the kitchen. And, oh, my gosh. You know, they had these visuals and we yeah. wound up making the space our own, but the kids were so resilient and they went with it. Yeah. And because we were able to look at it from a playful attitude and mm-hmm. it established that way that this is how we were going to look at the world, yeah. they were okay okay with doing that. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think very early on, I always tried to establish the, the, the idea that we are going to have fun in this room. There are times we're going to need to be serious, but we're going to have fun. I guarantee you. So if we're in a serious bout right now, just, just hang on, we'll get there. We're coming back up to the fun. Don't worry. And, and my students knew that. And so they knew that, you know, if it wasn't a funny moment at the, at the, you know, they, they knew to look around, read the room. Um, I, I taught them to read the room very early, but they would look around and go, okay, so we're not, we're not being funny right now. We're not being silly. We're being serious. Got it. But it's coming up and I'm waiting for it. And so they would, they would hang in there until it was time to be funny again. And they, they knew, and, and you know, that was how I ran my entire classroom in that fashion. So that they knew there's a time for playing right now. It's not it. Got it. Um, and I know having traveled the country with you <laughs> that fun and play is a huge part of how you approach life. And when we come back, we're going to explore a little bit about how this sense of play has influenced your adventure and learning. <laughs> Perfect. Hey, early childhood and elementary school teachers and librarians, are you looking for ways to spice up your curriculum, build connections with engaged STEAM learners, and introduce multicultural versions of fairy tales and folk literature? If so, head over to drdianeadventures.com and check out our on-demand virtual course. Beyond Ever After STEAM on-demand virtual course allows you to work at your own pace and learn how to build these STEM-STEAM connections through multicultural fairy tales and folk literature. You'll receive professional development credits after you complete this high-energy three-hour on-demand course produced with Steve Spangler, Inc. As a bonus, you're going to receive a PDF that's filled with curriculum connections and program ideas you can put to work immediately in your early childhood, elementary, or library setting. Discounts are available for group purchases, plus you get special pricing when you purchase it as part of a regular professional development workshop. So head on over to drdianeadventures.com and get started on your own Beyond Ever After experience. Welcome back. Um, We are here with Jen Coleman, teacher extraordinaire. And um, Jen has taught fifth grade. She's been a museum educator, and she is currently a college admissions counselor. They are so fortunate to have her, and um, we're fortunate to have her here with us as well. So, Jen, I have a question for you. Um, How does play connect to your own personal learning adventure? 
That's a really good question. So my personal learning adventure, I love learning things that make me happy, that make me joyful. I, I, I have learned to love things that make, to, 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 to love learning things that make me sad or that make me frustrated or that make me disappointed or angry. Um, you know, but I generally gravitate towards things that make me happy. So the things that make me happy involve me exploring new things and trying out new things and, and getting messy. Um, and that's, that sounds a little bit like frizz. Um, the idea that, you know, it can be something that is not, and, and that was one of the things I used to talk about with my students is it doesn't have to be from a textbook. It doesn't have to be traditional learning. It could be something totally unrelated. Um, and so the things that bring me joy in learning are the things that, you know, I'm trying something new. I'm, I'm making a mistake, but I'm learning something and I want to know how it's made. I want to know how it was done. I want to know how it can be done better. So what's um, something new you've tried in the last six months? Oh gosh. Um, hmm. <laughs> um I so ooh, I don't um I <laughs> I learned how to tile a wall. <laughs> hey, that is an accomplishment and it's something new. I I started um uh, at uh, at Christmas time, I, we redid our um, our kitchen, and I was inspired to want to tile the backsplash of my kitchen. But I wanted to make sure I did it right, so I did a lot of reading and a lot of watching of videos and a, a lot of uh, um, uh, you know, reading reading um, blog posts as well as like the official directions. Um, you know, so watching what people have done and how how their experiences have been, and then I tried it out on my own in our bathroom, in our upstairs bathroom that, you know, not too many guests go into. So if it turned out abysmal, it would only be me that would have to look at it. Um, and so I, you know, I tried it out there, experimented with, you know, the, the, the way it goes on the wall and the way the spacing goes and all of the measurements and the cutting and all of that. And I, I made mistakes and I look at them every morning when I take a shower, but it was, it enabled me to then do a better job when it came to the kitchen. And so the kitchen tile is up now and I look at it every day when I make my coffee and I'm very proud of it. And, and so, you know, that's, that's the new thing I've learned. <laughs> Didn't come from a textbook. Hey, and you're still learning and that's an important thing. Yes. Yeah. Now so, I'm ready to tile everything. So if you need a room tiled in your house, I'm there. <laughs> Excellent. I'm sure people are going to be sending you lots of messages to come tile their kitchens. You might've just given no. yourself a whole new career. <laughs> well, at least we know we'll have fun doing it. <laughs> exactly. So Jen, as you were talking about your favorite picture books as a child and being that nervous child who didn't always want to jump in, I was thinking about picture book connections and there's a brand new picture book coming out later this month that explores the endless possibilities every child has. And I kind of think that goes for adults too. It's called Patchwork by Matt De La Pena and it's illustrated by Corinna Lucan. And it's for all those kids, you know, you knew what you wanted to be. Mm -hmm. But it's for those kids who try a little something here and a little something there and a little something here and, you know, aren't spending 18 hours a day playing soccer. You know, the, yeah. they're the patchwork kids and they may try something and fail. And that's OK. That's part yeah. of the learning adventure. That's part of our process. Um, you know, we all get to our destination from a different perspective. Yes. And, I'm, and just, I mean, I'm so excited for this book. 
That's awesome. That sounds like a great book. And I think you and I have had that discussion very often. The, the, the path that you take doesn't have to be a direct path. And more than likely, it, it won't be. And if you look around and you talk to people you meet, you're going to find that their path wasn't very direct either. <laughs> well, and that's so, why it's an ongoing adventure in learning. Um, yeah. I love the notion that we're always learning and we're always building these connections and no experience is wasted. Yes. You know, it all comes back and serves in some other way at some point. Oh, yeah. And yeah. I think that makes a huge difference. So yeah. what's something that uh, currently brings you joy? Oh, gosh. Um, so I I find joy in, in lots of little things. So I do, I do, I, I, when it's quiet time at my house, my husband goes to sleep first and I often take longer to fall asleep. So I have found myself um, either playing games on my phone. I like to, and they're usually brain games, which makes me feel like I might be, you know, at least preserving some of those brain cells. But um, I like play Sudoku or do word searches. Um, but I also like to read comics. And so, again, that brings it back to me being a kid. Um, but, I, you know, just taking that time to... to in, and, and being purposeful about it. Like I am taking this time to enjoy the time by myself. I'm not just killing time. I'm not just wasting time. I am choosing to do this to, you know, find some joy. Um, and I also, I've been trying to do, do get outside uh, a little bit more. And because uh, my, my current job has me um, kind of attached to a desk a little bit more than I have done previously. And so I try to get outside um, throughout the day. Um, and mornings I have been going for walks, sometimes with friends, sometimes solo. So um, I've been enjoying walking with you. But I, I also, um, you know, I, I, I enjoy the solo, the quiet time too with myself. And, you know, sometimes it's with my thoughts, but I find it like meditative to just be out in nature and as be spending some time, you know, outside enjoying the breeze, enjoying the bird song and, and you know, watching nature happen. So that's, that's, those things are bringing me joy is that purposeful play, the purposeful time and, you know, the time being out in, the, out in nature and, and, and finding a little time to play there. And it really is purposeful play. Um, I was thinking that's one of the things I'm grateful for that came out of the pandemic over the last couple of years is I slowed down and started paying attention to things. And so things I hadn't noticed before, you know, the way the robins come out, the seeds that are coming out on the trees, yeah. um, watching the frogs and their cycles in the pond that's nearby, um, getting to know all of the muskrats who live in the pond. <laughs> These yeah. things I never paid attention to. And I find that when you do slow down, and you pay attention to those, they do bring joy. Oh, yeah. I, I, are you kidding? I felt like a Cinderella princess today because I was, I was, you know, at the sink doing dishes, you know, getting prepped for dinner and whatnot. And I'm looking out out the window and I have noticed I have a bunny rabbit who lives in my yard. I have a grand dog who lives in my yard and I have several squirrel families that live in my yard and a bunch of birds. And they were all out in the yard and they were all like running around playing with each other. And I'm not sure if they were playing or chasing each other, but I was just like, oh my gosh, look at all my animals. <laughs> I love it. You could put Disney princess on your resume. I <laughs> but I have definitely, I've definitely taken the time to observe those animals. I didn't know that you know, I, it, before the pandemic, I did not know if animals lived in my yard or not. I couldn't tell you that. And just, you know, spending more time observing it. I've learned, you know, that, that I, I enjoy that connection. I enjoy feeding the birds and I enjoy watching them, you know, the squirrels run around and, and climb the trees and, 
it's, it's really rewarding, oddly, to watch the animals. So since you're putting, since you're putting play into your life on a um, personal level, and you've certainly got a lifetime of experience bringing it yeah. into the classroom, what would be like two or three takeaways you would want people to remember about how to incorporate play for meaningful learning? Oh, okay. Well, if you're not having fun, you're probably not doing it right. <laughs> so, so there's the first part is if you're not having fun, you're probably not doing it right. And sometimes I actually have to tell myself that like, you know, and even, even sort of the mundane tasks, you know, if you're not, if you're ironing a shirt and you're not having fun, I mean, it's hard to have fun while ironing a shirt, but if you put on some music and you start dancing around while you're ironing that shirt, you're suddenly having fun. And if you're using the iron as a microphone, you're having fun and it suddenly becomes a more joyful task. And if you can start associating those fun moments with the, even the, the mundane drudgery tasks, it becomes fun. So you're adding play to that. Um, and that's sort of like an everyday thing. And I honestly, I think if you could just put a soundtrack to everyday life, I mean, we watch movies and we see the soundtrack, you know, those are like montage scenes where they're all doing something fun and they have some great music in the background and you see all the fun things, you know, they had, they had to like stop and go to the bathroom at some point. <laughs> there are boring moments. We don't see those because there's a soundtrack to it. So just turn on the music. Like that was oftentimes in my classroom, I would just turn on music and the piano guys are fabulous and they play contemporary music, but piano versions. So there's no words. So your students know the song. They're like, Hey, this song is, it's a popular song. I, I don't know. I don't know the words to it though, but it's a good song. <laughs> so they'll enjoy that if you put on some music. So even when we were doing things that were, you know, tasks where they need to be focused on something else, um, whether it was cleaning up, whether it was, you know, doing the science experiment, whether it was writing, I would put on some music and my students would enjoy the music and, you know, and you'd see them while they're writing, they're at their desks, they're silent, they're not talking or looking around, but their little shoulders are be bopping up and down because they're, they're, they're getting in, into the music, but they're doing their thing. And it, you know, multi-sensory and you know you're helping those kids who have ADHD maybe fit that multi-sensory so that they can't focus but at the same time it's just joyful it's just fun it's playful and so you know in incorporating music giving you giving your life a soundtrack um and I I'm it, so if you're not having fun you're not doing it right get some music in there experiment like there aren't any rules so play like a baby but in that way that you're you're curious about everything and then everything becomes an experiment and everything becomes playful so I think that those are my my pieces of, of how to explore the world experience the world and make it more playful <laughs> Excellent. Well, thank you for joining us today, Jen. Uh, we've had Jen Coleman with us today, and I'm feeling like we need an offshoot podcast now called If You're Not Having Fun, You're Probably Not Doing It Right. So you might want to look for that next year. <laughs> I'll be happy to help you host that one. <laughs> I'm kind of thinking we need to co-host that one. <laughs> it would be great. I would enjoy that. Well, thank you so much for having me. It has been a pleasure, and I am I'm glad to talk about play or learning or books or anything else with you. 
Thank you again for helping us connect play with STEAM learning and children's books. Check the show notes for links to the books we've discussed today. I look forward to taking another adventure in learning with you soon. You've been listening to the Adventures in Learning podcast with your host, Dr. Diane. If you love the Adventures in Learning podcast, we'd love for you to subscribe, rate, and give us a review. We can't wait to see you for our next Adventure in Learning.